Well, there's a song that's sung by Garth Brooks. I'm not going to sing it. It's titled, I've Got Friends in Low Places. And it's really a crowd favorite. You've probably sung it yourself, and people will sing it at the top of their lungs. And as you think about the words, they're actually kind of sad, because there's that tagline in it that says, I've got friends in low places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away. And unlike what the song goes on to say, things are not going to be okay as you slip down to the oasis. Because the next morning, as the numbing effects of the alcohol wears off, um, the hangover just makes whatever problems you were trying to escape that much worse. There's a book that's titled The Edge of Adventure, and in it, Bruce Larson and Keith Miller say this. The neighborhood bar is possibly the, the best counterfeit there is for the fellowship that Christ wants to give his church. It's an imitation, dispensing liquor instead of grace, escape rather than reality. But it's permissive, accepting, and inclusive. It's a fellowship that is unshockable. It's democratic. You can tell people secrets, and they usually don't tell others or even want to. The bar flourishes not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put into human hearts the desire to know and be known, to love and be loved. And so many seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. Now they go on to conclude, I believe that Christ wants his church to be an unshockable fellowship, a place where people can come in and say, I'm sunk, I hurt. I've had it. Alcoholics Anonymous has that quality, but so many of our churches too often miss it. Thankfully, as we turn in our Bible to Luke chapter 5 today, what we're going to see is that God doesn't want us to miss it because Jesus didn't miss it. In fact, what he models for us today, as we'll see in Luke chapter 5, is how we're to show love and enter into the needs that others have. Jesus did this by meeting people where they were, in very low places. And as he did so, he didn't leave them in despair, but what he did was he reached down into the hopelessness, the darkness of the situation, and he lifted them out of it. As we look at Luke chapter 5, beginning in verses 12 through 14, uh, we see one of the the men we're going to be looking at today who's in a very desperate situation. Luke 5, 12 tells us, while Jesus was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now in the ancient world, leprosy was one of the most dreaded diseases. And when we're talking about leprosy, Uh, It's not just what we know as Hansen's disease today, a form of leprosy. Leprosy in that day described a whole variety of skin ailments. Uh, and, And because these things were very contagious, what God had done was given the Israelites instructions in the Levitical law on how to keep these diseases from spreading. And as you, uh, 
go through the different rules, there were, there were several, and one of those was that the person was to be separated from uh, the population. If you had leprosy, you were to leave the city. You were to go out into a, a rural area. There were sometimes colonies of lepers, but many times these, these individuals were all alone outside of a populated area. And if you were a leper and somebody were coming down the road, you were not only the one responsible for getting off the road and away from the person, but you were to warn them. The Levitical law said you were to wear uh, clothing that was uh, like shredded rags. You were to have your head uncovered and your hair unkempt. You were to, to look uh, just this, this desperate, disheveled part. And as somebody approached, you were to take one of these strips of clothing and you were to cover your mouth and you were to scream out, unclean, unclean, so that people knew you were a leper. You know, it's interesting, medical science has studied leprosy, and they've, they've thought it was transmitted various ways, ways over the, the years. But the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, uh, now says that leprosy is spread through the inhaling of the droplets of the bacteria. You know, isn't it interesting that 3,500 years ago, before medical science even understood contagious disease control, here was God giving instructions on how to prevent the spread of this disease by saying, keep these droplets from being transmitted to others. Now, leprosy was a, a living death. It was a living death not only because it ultimately took the life of the person as their body withered away in horrible ways. You see, leprosy is a degenerative disease that affects nerve endings as one of the ways it attacks the body. So people lose all sense of feeling. So they don't know when they've hurt themselves or burned themselves. And, and the injuries get worse and worse. And then they become infected. And over time, people begin to lose uh, fingers and toes. Uh, parts of their, their body begin to, to waste away, fall off. A, an ear will eventually be gone. The nose will degenerate. People are horribly disfigured. So part of this idea of covering yourself was to, to cover some of the, the disfigurement and the shame that a person feels. And it was a living death, not just because of what happened to your body, but death, you'll remember, is defined as separation. Separation of our soul from our body. And in this case, the person was separated from society. They had no contact with others. They were not allowed to be in religious gatherings. They were isolated. They were separated from their families. Remember, Luke, who's writing this gospel, is a physician. And what he tells us here is this disease of leprosy was advanced. He says that this man was, was covered in it. So that means that this disease uh, is one that he's had for quite some time. So he's been living with it. He's been separated from people for quite some time. Now, we're not given any family background, but for imagine a moment that this man were married. And if he were a married person, he had to, to leave his family. He had to, to leave not only his, his, his home, but, but also any contact with his wife and children. And so he goes out into this rural area outside the city. The Levitical law said that the person had to live outside of the camp. They had to be in, in a non-populated area. And lepers couldn't work, they couldn't take care of themselves, so they had to beg for food. Now, nobody wanted to be around the lepers, so what they would do is they would leave a bowl on a rock by a roadway. And as they stood off at a great distance, they would, they would beg for food for people, and people would come by and they would, they would drop food or drink into these containers, being careful not to touch it, and they would scurry away. And so here's this man who's separated from his family, and maybe his wife, when she would make a meal, 
uh, would travel out into this area with some provisions for a few days, and, and she would bring the kids, and, and they would, you know, come up to where her, her husband's bowl was, and she would, she would put the food there on the rock and, and things in the bowl, but, you know, the, she couldn't get near him. So as they delivered the goods, they would stand back, and, and there he is off at a distance, and, and you can imagine that they, they kind of wave at each other, exchange a smile or something early on, as, as you know, that's the closest they can come together. But remember, this man's disease is advanced, so it's been quite some time. And as he's losing fingers and toes and his face is becoming disfigured, um, he, he doesn't want to come out and smile and wave at his family anymore. He doesn't want them to see what he's become. He's, he's watching his children grow up from a distance. They were little, and, and now they're getting bigger. And, and, and he wants to hug them, but he can't. Maybe there are times that, that his wife breaks down in tears as she's there, and and, and he longs to comfort her, but, but he can't get near her. He's lonely. He's isolated. He's desperate. And we see just how desperate he is because as you look at Luke chapter 5, verse 12, it says that he went into the city. Leviticus thirteen forty five, as I said, said that a, a leper had to be outside the city. You were not allowed to come into the city. He hears Jesus is in the city, and he's desperate. He's willing to risk everything to go into the city. If a leper came into a populated area, the people would yell and scream. They would run away. Now, if he's coming to where they are, they would pick up rocks and they would throw it at him, like you would do to a stray dog to try to drive it away. And if if that didn't chase the leper away, they would literally stone the person to death. And then that that person would have something tied onto its body and dragged away. Nobody wanted to touch the person for fear of leprosy. So as he comes into the city, you see how desperate and lonely he is. he's, He's willing to risk everything. And as you imagine the people in the city running and screaming, get out, get away, there's Jesus. As he approaches Jesus, Jesus doesn't yell at him. He doesn't run away. He doesn't pick up a rock and throw it at the guy. Instead, he stands there as this leper approaches him. And the man we read falls on his face in the dirt. He's there at the feet of Jesus. And, and, and he, he knows that this is the Son of God. This is the Lord. He says, Lord, this is the second time in Luke. Remember, Peter called Jesus Lord. This is the second time this title is used. He knows Jesus can heal him. It's not a question, can he? It's a question of, will he? He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me. Now, as you read through the Bible, you see there are times that Jesus heals just with a word. He heals from a distance where a a soldier comes and wants a a servant healed. and, And he says, I'm a man of authority just like you, Jesus. Just speak and it'll happen. You don't even have to come to my house. Jesus could have just said to the guy, hey, you're good. Go away. You're healed. But he doesn't speak a word. Instead, what we read is he stretched out his hand and he touched him. He said, I am willing. Be cleansed. Jesus didn't need to touch the man to heal the disease. He touched the man to heal his heart. How long has it been since this guy felt another human touch him? 
People didn't touch lepers. And Jesus reaches out and he touches him. Christ is bringing healing to the man, not just on the outside, but also the inside. Do you realize there are people all around you right now who are just like this leper? They're hurting, they're isolated, they're desperate. And they're hoping that somebody will notice them. They're hoping that somebody will be kind to them, say a word of greeting. They're hoping somebody will even just reach out and touch them. Now, I know right now in our society, everybody's like, don't touch anybody. (laughs) There's all this abuse that has happened in the past, and everybody's so scared of touching anybody or saying anything nice to somebody because they're afraid that they're going to be, you know, accused of something. I'm not talking about inappropriate touch. I'm talking about recognizing the need that people have to be known and feel important. Study after study tells the importance of physical touch, whether it's babies who have to be held or, or people who have lost loved ones that are alone and just what, what happens, the biological changes to the brain waves and other things when somebody touches the person. And Jesus knows this man needs a touch. Now, some people debate as to whether Jesus becomes ceremonially unclean here because the scripture said if you touch an unclean person, you become unclean. But friends, it says the man was healed immediately. This this was where Jesus obliterates the disease. His power as God overcame the uncleanliness. It's just like what happened at the cross when Jesus obliterated sin and death. Death didn't win, and this disease doesn't overpower Jesus Leprosy in the scriptures is a a vivid picture of what our sin is. Jesus came to deal with our leprosy, our sin. If you read the book of Isaiah chapter 1 and verses 4 through 6, God uses the disease of leprosy to describe our sin. It's a vivid picture of the, the ugly, loathsome, incurable thing that separates us from God. But while our sin separated us from God, God left his throne in heaven to come to earth and walk among us to reach out and heal us, to restore the broken relationship, to bring us back to him. Some of you, as you walked in here this morning, feel a little bit like the leper we're reading about, don't you? You're saying, you know, Roger, if if people knew who I really was, if they could see inside uh, my, my mind and the thoughts that are there, if we had one of those little kind of things where what we're thinking was, was seen by everybody, it'd be horrible, wouldn't it? You're thinking if people really knew who I was, if, if people knew my background and the mistakes I've made, they, they would be like the people in our story that would be moving away from me right now. They'd be saying, Ugh, I don't want to be near that man or that woman, that boy or that girl. They're a leper. And maybe you walked in here this morning and you're waiting. You've heard about how Christians pick up rocks and self-righteously stone uh, other sinners. And you're thinking, if they just knew who I was, they'd run and scream and throw rocks at me. If that's how you're feeling this morning, I want to tell you you're welcome. I'm glad you're here. And as you look around, what I want you to notice is not a, a group of perfect people. You're sitting in the midst of a leper's colony right now because we're all lepers. We're all sinners. Romans 3.10 tells us there is none righteous, no, not one. Whether it's the pastor in the pulpit or the person in the pew next to you, we are all sinners. 
Romans 3.23 says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so if you walked in here this morning being afraid of will you fit in, you're welcome to be among the rest of us who are just like you. Sinful, struggling people. Now that doesn't give us an excuse to keep on sinning and living a life uh, that is against what God desires for us. The book of Romans tells us, what shall we say then? Shall we sin more, all the more so that grace should increase? And Paul says, may it never be. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? We're sinners. We're fallen. We're separated from God by what we did. But God came and he took care of our problem. Romans 5, 8 says he demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He saw us in all of the the grotesqueness of our sin, the leprosy that was clear to him. But he didn't run from you. He didn't throw a rock at you. Instead, what he did was he opened his arms wide to welcome you. Because Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And Jesus went to the cross and he spread his arms wide and he died to pay that penalty of death that I owe and you owe. That's why Romans 6.23 goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And this morning God has his arms open wide to you. Not because they're still nailed to the cross but because they're open wide and he's saying, I'm waiting for you to come to me. I'm waiting for you to humble yourself as this leper did as he bowed at the feet of Jesus in the dirt and said, I'm unclean. And I know you as God can heal my sin. You can take this disease away. And the scripture says in Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. So if we come and we say, Lord, are you willing to heal me? Jesus has already answered the, are you willing? When he said, I went to the cross and I died for you. I'm willing. And I died for you. And I'm waiting for you to come so I can welcome you, so I can touch you and bring you into the family of God. This man came to Christ and he was made whole inside and out. And to show that man's relationship with God had been made right, Jesus says, go and present yourself to the priest showing you've been healed and offer the sacrifice that is prescribed by the law. Now, in in the Old Testament, there are only two recorded uh, accounts of lepers who were healed. One was Miriam and the other was a guy named Naaman. Being healed of leprosy was a very unusual event. And so you can imagine as this guy shows up at the priest and says, uh, I was a leper, but I've been healed. The, The priest is going got to look that one up. He's turning there to Leviticus and he's saying, okay, leprosy healing. Yeah, it's here. This is, this is the offering that needs to be made. When, when my daughter Sarah was, was about four years old, we were moving from Iowa here to Texas to, to come to Wayside Chapel. And I had pastored previously up in a farming ranching community outside of Dallas called Kaufman. And when when I was, uh, I was already here, my wife and Sarah and, and Hannah and Zachary, our little ones, were coming down uh, to, to join us, and they stopped over at a friend's ranch there in Kaufman, and they were bunking out on the floor, and Sarah was laying on the ground, and, and underneath uh, the bed, there was a scorpion that nobody knew about. And being about four years old, this, this scorpion kind of crawls out, and you know what they do with their tail. They're just kind of doing this. Well, 
Well, Sarah is laying there on the floor, and she wants to make friends with this thing. And so she, she kind of reaches out to touch it, and it poked her finger. She got stung by a scorpion. Ow, you know. And so anyway, she, she gets this scorpion bite, and we figured out what happened after the fact. And we were back in Iowa finishing getting stuff together, and while we were there... Uh, her her finger really swole up and things, you know, she had just, you can imagine a little girl that big getting right on the tip of her finger. And we took her to the pediatrician. And the pediatrician in Iowa had never seen a scorpion bite before. Everybody here in Texas knows what to do with it, right? And so this, this pediatrician gets out the medical books. Scorpion bites, what do you do? And he calls in all these other doctors and doctors from some of the other practices in the building are coming over because they've never seen a scorpion bite. Oh, that finger's... And they, they figured out, well, about at this point, all we can do is give her a tetanus shot, right? Well, this is the priest. You've been healed of leprosy? What? So he's calling all the other priests in. Look, look at this guy. They're all examining his skin. He's healed. He's fixed. Wow. We've never seen this before. That's why in a moment we're going to see where uh, when this other miracle account happens, it tells us that among the crowd that is there, there are priests from all over, even Jerusalem. These guys are all showing up saying, who is this guy who can heal people of leprosy? Now, Jesus said, don't go tell anybody about this. He had to tell the priest. What Jesus didn't want is the guy out there on the street telling everybody, hey, Jesus just healed me. Come and get healed yourself. The crowds were already overwhelming. And, and as Jesus is, is there, we, we read in the very next verse that he withdraws from the people. Verses 15 through 16 say, But the news about him was spreading even further, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Here you see why he didn't want word out. The crowds were already overwhelming. He needed to withdraw. He needed to recharge. He needed fellowship with the Father. And some of you know exactly what this feels like. There are times in ministry that I feel overwhelmed by the needs of people and things that are happening. And it's, it's easy sometimes to be so busy serving God that you don't spend any time with God. Has that ever happened in your life? And as, as we read about Jesus withdrawing here, if he had had a cell phone, he would have silenced it. If he had uh, been on Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and Twitter and things, he would have logged off. Do you do that? Do you have times where you unplug from the world so that you can plug in through prayer to God and his power source? Listen, I know you're thinking right now about all the reasons why you can't do that. I, I can list them too. But if we don't make time for this, if we keep doing what we've been doing, we won't be able to keep doing what we've been doing. If you run your engine at the red line all the time, it'll blow. I've got a friend who's a fellow pastor, and, and he said one time, he said, the speed at which I'm doing God's work is destroying God's work in me. The speed at which I'm doing God's work is destroying God's work in me. And you don't have to be in full-time ministry for that to always be the case. Many of you here are running at the red line as a, as a parent caring for kids, as maybe an adult child who's now the caregiver to your parents who are in a season of life where 
uh, you've taken on that role as well. It happens with friends and, and coworkers and others who come to us with needs, and there can come a point where you're, you're physically, emotionally exhausted. And if you don't withdraw from the situation to commune with God, to plug into the power that only he can give, you can be wiped out. And so Jesus withdraws for a time to recharge and reconnect in fellowship with the Father. And then in the next verses, we see Jesus back doing ministry and in the midst of yet another crowd. Because Luke five seventeen through 26 tells us, One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of Jesus, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they led him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Here is, here is another man who's in a desperate situation. Friends, he's literally in a low place, isn't he? He's flat on a mat, paralyzed on the ground. And this guy's desperate. He's hopeless. And and while he's in the lowest of places, he has friends who are in high places because they're up on the roof. And he actually has a friend in the highest of places because in a moment we're going to see in verse 24 where Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And he says to this guy in verse 27, Friend. So he has friends in high places and in the highest place as well. But before we go any further with what this means, the Son of Man and these things, I want you to linger over the scene here for a moment. As you read through the Bible, don't just try to get your daily reading in and flip pages. I mean, enter into the story. We're told that Jesus is in the town again. If you look at Mark chapter 2, it's Capernaum. This is is where Peter's mother-in-law had been healed. We're not told that he's in Peter's house here. He's, He's just in a home in the city of Capernaum. And people again are packing in to hear him. Now, we're told there are these four guys. You can picture big burly men because they're strong enough to carry their friend on a stretcher up onto the roof of a house. And so as, as word starts to spread, hey, Jesus is back in town. And he's over at such and such person's house. You can imagine the, the commotion in the city. People are running through the streets. Everybody's trying to get there. Everybody wants to see Jesus, hear Jesus. And as these guys are in the street being big, strong guys, they, they can outrun a lot of the crowd. They can get to that house first. And so, you know, they're, they're kind of moving that direction and, and, and they're wanting to get in and, 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 and then suddenly they go, whoa, what about our buddy? What about our buddy Pete who's paralyzed? He, he can't get here. And as, as they're kind of stopping and thinking about it, you know, one, one of the other guys is saying, man, we got, we got to get moving. All the good seats are going to be taken, right? Now, We're going to see in a moment, we just read that all these religious leaders are there. And do you remember what Jesus was always saying about the religious leaders? He said, you guys like to take the seats of honor. You you like to have the best seats in the house. So as you picture this this house in the living room, there's the couch and the the lazy boy chairs, right? The the nice, you know, stuffed chairs. And these guys would have taken those seats. 
So if you're one of these four guys, you're thinking, well, the best we can hope for are the folding chairs, those metal chairs they dragged in out of the garage, you know, when extra company comes and you're like looking for every, every chair you can get. And so they're thinking, well, we can, we can get those chairs if we hurry. And they're kind of torn because they're like, but our buddy Pete can't get here on his own. So they're like, come on, let's go get Pete. And they they go upstream fighting the crowd back to his house. And they run in and they go, did you hear Jesus is here? And he's laying there on the bed paralyzed. I can't go. No, you can go. We're taking you. And, and you know, he's on his mat, so it's some kind of woven thing, whether it's reeds or a blanket or something. They start grabbing a corner and balling it up to lift him and carry him. And, and he's going, no, 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 guys, don't take me. Look, I'm, I, haven't, I haven't gotten showered. I, I, I'm not dressed for this. He's embarrassed. He doesn't want to go out in public. He's like, every time we're out on the street, everybody's staring at me. And they're going, you're going. And he goes, no, 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 you guys go. You go, go get some good seats. Just leave me here. Don't be inconvenienced but they won't take no for an answer. And, and, and they pick them up, and they're kind of moving, and, and you, you can picture these guys are, are running now. Come on, maybe we can still get there and get, get at least in the hallway, right? So they're, they're running along, and, and there's Pete bouncing on the thing. Don't drop me. Hey, hey, slow down. But, but you know, they're moving. And they top the hill, and they're about to come to the house. It's like 281 when you crest the hill. <sighs> Traffic jam, right? I mean, people are packed in. The house is full. They're spilling out the front door. And one of them goes, uh, change lanes, get on the shoulder. Let's go over to the window, right? So they, they go over there. Oh, man, there are three, four people deep at the window, all leaning in trying to hear Christ. And there's Pete. Just, just take me home, guys. Forget it. Thanks. You tried. No, no, no. We're, we're, we're getting you in to see Jesus. And they go around the back of the house. Now, there's nobody there. And there's nobody there because homes in that day, the back of the house was just a solid wall. <laughs> nobody can get in there. But on the back of the wall was a, a little narrow stairway. You see, because homes in that day were made of this, this mud construction. And if you've ever been like an adobe brick type of home, you know that what happens is the heat of the day is absorbed. And so these homes in the Middle East would get really hot during the day. And so every home had this rooftop patio where people would go up in the evening where they would hang out until the home would cool off. And so they go, let's go up on the roof. Now it's a narrow stairway. There's four of them. Uh, Pete's paralyzed on the thing. They can't all get up. So they kind of roll them up like a tamale, right? And, and one of them says, okay, I, I'm going to take this. And I'm going to go up the stairs backwards. The other guy's down below. And his two other friends are going, we got you. It's okay if you fall, we got you. And, and they get up onto the roof. And, and they lay him out on the roof. And one of the guys is laying down next to him. And they're, they're, they're moving around. And okay, right here. I, I can hear some muffled teeth. Jesus is right here. They're like looking around, what do we do? Well, people would recline on rocks. So there's this, this rock up there on the, on the roof. And this one guy gets it, and he starts scraping away at the, the plaster. You see, the way they would build these roofs is you'd have these, these beams inside the house. And then they would crisscross it with some, some uh, larger sticks, and then they would bundle up straw, and they would put that on top, and then they would make these, 
these tiles that were uh, thatch and mud interwoven, and they would crisscross them. So you'd kind of build up this, and then you'd, you'd have this layer of uh, plaster on top. So this one guy's up there scratching away at the plaster. And he, he finally gets down to where they see some of the thatch. And everybody's reaching in and they're, they're starting to, to tear away at the roof and they're starting to pull off these, these squares. Now, put yourself inside the house for a moment. You're in there and you're listening to Jesus. And all of a sudden you're hearing this, this scratching. You ever been in your house and you hear that scratching in the wall and you go, time to call the exterminator. (laughs) So they're hearing scratching. And as they they start to break through, there's there's little bits of dust coming down. And, and, you know, the religious leaders, remember, they're right there. They're, They're kicked back on the couch and, you know, this dust is starting to fall on their beautiful robes. And they're like, this guy got rats in the ceiling. I mean, what's going on? And and, and, and as good as Jesus is teaching, there comes a point where everybody's like looking at the roof because now it's starting to rain. Debris and sticks and part, pieces of mud. And, and as everybody's kind of looking up to see what's happening, suddenly there's this, this blinding light that comes through because they, they rip open a hole. And the homeowner's sitting there going, I didn't want a skylight. I mean, what's going on? And, and as this, this hole is ripped open, there's this blinding light. And now there's all this stuff, you know, raining down on people. They're all trying to scooch back. And, and suddenly, as quickly as the light was seen, it disappears. Because remember, Pete's been kind of rolled up like this tamale. And you can picture they, they kind of, you know, like an Enos hammock now. They're, they're tying off on either end. And they, they kind of push him through the hole. And Pete's going, don't do it. I'm gonna drive. It's okay. We got you. We got you. We're lowering you. And so here he comes, you know, straight down. And, and he lands right there in front of Jesus. And as the, the mat hits the ground and the ropes are loosened a little, it opens up and he's, he's laying there. Hi, Jesus. <laughs> and the religious leaders, these guys suddenly are out of their seats. And they're backing up, treating him like the leper we just read about. Because the religious leaders, remember, said, well, people who are paralyzed, people who are chronically ill, people who are like the the man born blind, he said, who sinned, this man or his parents? You see, their theology said, if you were like this, you were a wicked, wicked sinner. And this person is is obviously a horrible sinner. So they're they're kind of all backing away from him. They, They don't want to be around this guy. And as they're looking at, at this guy laying there on the ground, everybody's looking at him. The religious leaders are all over in the corner, kind of, what's going on? And everybody's looking at these ropes, kind of going, Whoa. and they look up through the hole, and what do they see? There's his four buddies. You can see him high five. Hey, we did. He's, he's there. And everybody's looking up, and they see these four faces. They're dripping with sweat. They've, they've carried their buddy there. They've ripped open the roof. But as Jesus looks up, he doesn't see four faces. It says he sees their faith. It's interesting. We're not told anything about the faith of the guy on the floor, right? It says Jesus sees their faith. 
And then Jesus does something nobody expects. Because in verse 20, it says, Jesus sees her faith and he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. And, and you see these four guys looking through the hole going, no, no, Jesus, no, touch him. Because if you just touch him, he'll be healed. We, we didn't come here for his sins to be forgiven. We came here to fix him. Is that any of us? God, we're here today because I've got this problem. My marriage is a mess. My, my, my checks are bouncing. Uh, things are, are broken in my life. And I need you to fix it. Jesus says, no, see, you have a bigger problem. I didn't come to fix and make your life real comfortable here on earth. I came to fix the real problem you have in your life. And, and as these guys are, are looking at him and, and, and they're saying, no, no, fix him. And Jesus says, I am. Your sins are forgiven. They didn't want to hear that. And the religious leaders sure didn't want to hear it either. Look at what happens in verses 21 through 25. The scribes and the Pharisees began reasoning, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus is kind of looking over these rocks, whispering. And he goes, Hey, I know what you guys are talking about. What? It says, but Jesus, being aware of their reasoning, answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And immediately he got up before them. He picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen remarkable things today. And and Jesus says, I didn't come so you could see a show. Do you know why Jesus came? Look back at Luke 5.17. Because in Luke 5.17, as the miracle began, it said he was teaching Jesus said, I came to tell you something, to reveal something to you, which we find in verse 24, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. You can underline that title, the Son of Man, because this is the first time of 26 times we will see it in the book of Luke. The Son of Man is a very, very important title. It's found all throughout the scriptures. It was used by the prophet Ezekiel over 80 times. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, it was used to describe the coming of the promised Messiah. It was a messianic title that was reserved only for the Son of God, the one who was the promised Messiah. It's why when Jesus said, I am the Son of Man, the Pharisees all said, blasphemy. The dude is claiming to be God. And Jesus says, I'm claiming to be God because I am God. 
And he says, so that you may know that I am the son of man. I am the promised Messiah. I am God. Hey, guy, pick up your stuff and leave. He says to them, which is easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or to have a a paralyzed man walk? You see, I can stand up here today and say your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Yours too. Your sins, yours. Everybody's sins are forgiven. And you're going, wow, that's great, but how do I really know? Because you don't see anything happen. And so Jesus says, you want to see something happen? Pick up your stuff and walk out of here. He says, because I am who I say I am. He has this ability because Jesus was and is the Son of God. You see, in Luke 19.14, I'm sorry, 19.10, it tells us, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man came, not to make our life easier, not to fix all of our day-to-day problems, but he came to fix the biggest problem we would ever have. Max Licato once wrote these words. He said, if our greatest need had been for information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been for technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been for money, God would have sent us an economist. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. Jesus came not to do miracles, not to have a great show. He came to show who he was, the son of God who came to seek and to save the lost, me, you, everybody. And he offers this gift of new and eternal life to us. In John 1.12, it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who have believed in his name. Have you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Have you accepted his great gift of new life to you? If you haven't, he offers it to you. He says, but as many has received him, he gave you the right to become a child of God, a part of the family, to be welcomed into the family, no longer separated from him. And if you're here this morning saying, well, Roger, I've done that. I'm already a believer in Jesus. Do you remember what we saw at the beginning of Luke chapter 5 last week? He said, I don't want you just to be a believer. I want you to be a follower, and I want you to be a fisher of men. I want you to take the good news of the gospel, what you've received, and I want you to take it out into the streets. I want you to share it with others. I want you to bring others to come to know who I am. Today, we've seen two men who came to Christ and were healed. Someone did a study once on the healings of individuals in the New Testament. Jesus healed many people, but these were individual healings. And they found that of 40 individual healings, there were six times that a person came to Christ, like the leper in the first miracle. Remember him? He came to Jesus on his own. But 34 of the other 40 times, somebody brought the person to Jesus to be healed like the four friends in the miracle we're looking at right now. Have you ever brought somebody to Jesus? Have you ever been going somewhere and you stopped and thought, I need to go get my friend. I, I, I need to tell my coworker about this. I, I need to uh, say to that, that kid at school or that maybe even that stranger you see on the street, hey, 
Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me take you to the Bible study. Let me invite you to church. What are you doing to bring somebody to Christ? Now, maybe you're thinking, well, Roger, they would never say yes. How do you know? Have you asked? I've told you before that I'm, I'm not a real big fan of musicals. Now, don't send me any letters or emails. I've gotten those before. Uh, I actually have gone to five musicals. And I've even enjoyed two of them. <laughs> and do you know why I've gone to musicals? Because somebody asked me. Somebody said to me, Roger, would you like to go to such and such musical? And I said, well, no, I'm washing my hair that night. <laughs> they said, well, if you really love your wife, you'll come with us on a double date to see this musical. And so I'm like, okay, I'm listening. And then they say, and we've even bought you a ticket. So you don't have to do that. And we will even go to dinner after the musical. So how can you refuse that? Have you ever invited anybody to church? You don't have to buy them a ticket. That part's already taken care of. And if you can cover it, then maybe invite them to lunch. Say, hey, let's go to church, and afterwards we'll, we'll go out to eat. You see, sometimes your friend, your coworker, your, your classmate has never come to church because you've not asked them. Nobody's ever asked them. Some of you here this morning uh, would, can, can give testimony yourselves in saying, well, somebody wanted me to go to church and I said no. Has that ever happened? And maybe you said no a second time and a third time. But about the 30th time you said, okay, I'll go, I'll try it. And as they came to church, you know what they found out? Hey, the people here look just like me. They're, they're not what I pictured. They're not glowing halos, all dressed in white and holier everything. And, you know, they're normal. They look just like me. And invite them to eat. They have to eat. They enjoy eating. You know, one of the, the line items in our budget in multiple departments says food. And when you look at food in student ministries or college and singles, and it's in the adult Bible fellowships, it's in our 55 plus with game night and banquets and things, people... Food attracts people. And you know, they're coming not just for the food. They're coming for the fellowship. Do you, do you remember the leper in the first story who was isolated and lonely? And so say to somebody, hey, why don't you come to church with me and we'll go out and get a bite to eat afterwards. You know, this is the Christmas season. And there are a lot of people who are willing to go to church at Christmas. If no other time, I call them CEOs, Christian CEOs are Christmas and Easter onlys, right? So you have some, some friends who are saying, you know, I'll come to church at Christmas if you invite me. You heard about the services. There's going to be four of them Christmas Eve. Invite them to come. Sometimes it's all it takes. Now, what if your friend says, no, I'm not going to come? Well, then grab three strong friends, put them on a pallet, tie them up, <laughs> and bring them to church. No, don't kidnap them. Just keep asking. So what I want you to do this morning is this. I want you to make a, a most wanted list. And don't make it a top ten like the old westerns and hang it in your cubicle and all your workmates walk by and go, why is my name on that list? <laughs> well, these are the heathens I'm going to invite to church, right? Don't, don't do that. And don't even make it a top ten list. Make it maybe top two or three. 
Because you'll remember to pray for two or three people. Ten you may, may get a little weary doing. And begin to pray right now, today, tomorrow, this week, next week, about your friend. And pray for them every day. God, would you open their heart? Would you open up an opportunity for me to talk to them? And pray for yourself. Say, God, give me the courage to make the ask, to say to the person, hey, would you, would you like to come with me to church or to the Bible study or whatever event, some fellowship opportunity that's happening uh, with other believers? Jesus is somebody that goes into the lowest of places to raise people out of the pit of despair and give them hope so that one day we can be with him in heaven. Will you be a friend in high places who will invite them to join you with him for all eternity? Will you join me, please, as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for what it teaches us about you and your great love for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to leave your throne in heaven, to come to earth, to walk with us among uh, the mess of this world, to enter into uh, the world in which we live, and to reach out and model for us what real love looks like. Father, you loved us so much you died for us to set us free from the penalty of sin and death. Would we love others enough to tell them about the good news and the gift of new and eternal life. So give us the courage, Father, to make the ask and open up the hearts of the people we'll talk to so that they can come to know you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gift of new and eternal life. And it's in your precious name that we pray and thank you. Amen. <laughs>